The response to COVID-19 is perhaps the key human rights issue in the world at the moment, as states move to enforce lockdowns for billions of people. In the UK, the government has issued guidance on social distancing and new laws. I want to make clear at the outset that everybody has a responsibility to follow the government's guidance, which will keep us safe, protect the NHS and save lives. You can find the latest guidance on the gov.uk website and I will post it on the Patreon link, patreon.com forward slash better human. We also have new emergency regulations, new laws, which give the police and other public authorities new powers. This podcast is a discussion of those laws, which give the police powers to disperse gatherings and fine and charge people with criminal offences if they leave the house without a reasonable excuse. After just a few days, there are reports of inconsistencies by the police in enforcing them. I'm joined by David Allen Green, a lawyer and legal commentator, to take a deep dive into the new laws. We discuss potential issues with the laws and how they might lead to problems of enforcement and citizens and police understanding what is and isn't against the law. It's in everyone's interest that the law is clear. We recorded this episode at 9am on Tuesday the 31st of March, so apologies if it has already been overtaken by events when you listen to this. Remember, everyone should follow the government's guidance. If you have any concerns about your own actions, there is a useful Frequently Asked Questions document on the gov.uk website. It's called Staying at Home and Away from Others, brackets Social Distancing. I'll post a link on the Patreon page. So, David, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Um, I read your um, fantastic blog post, which is, um, you know, back to the, the the days of legal blogging. I think we've decided is uh, are back because the the law needs explaining and needs understanding. And God knows that the government and the police aren't doing a brilliant job of, of doing that. Um, so, I, I read your post um, about the coronavirus restrictions of movement i thought it'd be really interesting to have you on the podcast thank you for inviting me it's a pleasure it's a pleasure um, and i think the last time we did this was with mike semple piggott it must have been close to 10 years ago and and cole gardner in the in the early podcast days of without prejudice yeah I, I, exactly exactly um but we're in very diff- a very different world now um unfortunately um which involves the most swinging um, restrictions on movement perhaps ever um, set down in in law. Um, And I I had an interesting conversation yesterday. I was on my bike taking my daily exercise and I I, I saw two police officers on the beat and I went and I stopped my bike and I thought, well, I'm going to have a chat with them and see how they're, how they're doing, what, what they, what they're up to. And, and I asked them, you know, how are you doing? Are you on the beat for sort of coronavirus um, restrictions? And they said, and they said in part, yes. So, and I, and I, sort of they were very nice and they were very much saying you know we're going to have to engage and explain is our main thing and then enforcement only comes very late and very much later um, and I asked them well do you, do you think you have a good understanding of what the law is in terms of enforcement and they said absolutely we're very clear on what the law is and then I said well, well what is it and I sort of dug into it and eventually it turned out that what they were they thought they were enforcing was what they call the four rules which I assume must have been the four rules um, on the government 
um, website for staying at home and, and it's set for very limited purposes which is shopping for basic necessities for example food and medicine which must be as infrequent as possible one form of exercise a day for example a run walk or cycle alone or with members of your household any medical need including to, to donate blood avoid or escape risk of injury or harm or to provide care or to help a vulnerable person and the fourth is traveling for work purposes but only where you cannot work from home but the courts may be closed, but the human rights barrister has to have the need to go round cross-examining police officers. I, I know, I know, I know. I, say, <laughs> I did say I was a lawyer, but 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 the, the worry I had was then then the officer said, "Well, you know, for example, if we if we saw you out on your bike later, knowing that you'd already." come out on your bike once we might have a word with you i said well do you realize that you wouldn't be able to enforce anything against me because there's no there's no law against two sets of exercise in a day and he said well that would obviously have to be a test case i don't I, you know i think there is a law against <laughs> that um he, he used i mean he used that expression it would have to be a test case and he kept saying that and and that just for me summed up and i, I, I don't criticize these these police officers it is a bit chilling that uh, the police are labouring under such misapprehension as to what the law says and also what the purpose of the law is. What the police seem to be overlooking, or many police, is that this is not public order legislation. These are not public order powers. They are public health powers under public health legislation. And th what worries me is that an overzealous application and interpretation of these powers by the police will have the unfortunate effect of discrediting the law, thus undermining the statutory purpose, which is to protect our public health. Can you just sort of go into that in a bit more detail about what do you mean by the, the, the difference between public order and public health powers? Why should it matter in terms of what the police are doing? Well, if you look at the parent legislation for this, it's the Public Health Act 1984, as heavily amended over the years. And under that, that provides uh, the Secretary of State of Health to uh, make regulations. Those regulations can in turn include offences. The, the, the 1984 Act expressly provides that you can make regulations that create criminal offences. But the purpose of the legislation is, is, is not to give powers to the police for social control. The purpose of the legislation is to ensure that pandemics, infectious diseases, contagious diseases can be properly contained. And so if, if, if the regulations are being applied in such a way that could undermine people's confidence in the regime, then that seems to me to be frustrating the statutory purpose. Yeah, well, pre preventing, protecting against, controlling or providing a public health response to the incidence or spread of infection or contamination is the is the statutory purpose. So that that's the so, so to explain to the listener what that means is any so, so the, there's this act, the Public Health Act, um, which is specifically aimed at infectious diseases, and it allows for these kind of emergency regulations, um, and 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 they're pretty, you know. Um, powerful in terms of in terms of state power just to explain these don't have to be approved by parliament in fact they weren't approved by parliament these can just be be made by a minister um, effectively as and as soon as they're made they're they're laid before parliament but they don't have to be approved um, and they last for 28 days and at a stroke it has 
on on, on a temporary basis, admittedly, uh, removed right of assembly, right freedom of movement, freedom to worship, and in many cases, freedom to ply ply a business or trade at a stroke, without any parliamentary debate, not without any MPs scrutinising. MPs in turn, in time, can actually ratify these uh, regulations. But at the moment, we've had fundamental freedoms curtailed without any parliamentary debate or any parliamentary vote. Yeah, and, and not not just any fundamental freedoms, but as you say, probably it's probably these. This is probably the law which has restricted freedoms in terms of Human Rights Act, in terms of overall, you know, general civic freedoms, more than any other law in our possibly in the legal history, without any. I- Without any um, approval by Parliament, without even a debate, a single amendment, a thought um, from MPs. Um, and here they are, um, and they have to be checked in 28 days. But all that's, all that's going to happen in 28 days is the Secretary of State has a duty to review them and remove them if they're not necessary anymore. But then they'll be remade. Yeah, I would say they're probably the most draconian pieces of legislation or at least secondary legislation since the defence regulations of the Second World War, which of course had internment without trial uh, and the famous case of Liveridge and Anderson uh, where those regulations were upheld with a famous dissent. But yeah, there's certainly the most uh, oppressive and illiberal regulations made in peacetime. Uh, the question is that they, is whether they are justified by the underlying public health emergency, and most sensible people would say yes, that emergency regulations should be in place when there is an emergency. But the, there are two problems with these regulations, it, seem, it seems to me. First of all is that they aren't drafted as well as they could be. There, there are liberal provisions, but in turn a lot of the exceptions are so vague as to almost be meaningless and and then, regardless of what the black letter law says, uh, how they are being interpreted and applied by by the police and other officials, and so that is why, as as we make this recording, there is all a great deal of uncertainty and inconsistency across the country. Different constabularies are taking different approaches, and uh, and some 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 of the applications and some of the interpretations are so daft that that the law itself is being called into question, which is the one thing you do not want in a public health emergency. Well, and I think it's probably fair to say there are two kinds, there's two different kinds of uncertainty that have arisen because of these regulations. I think the first kind is that the regulations are different, quite fundamentally different. And we're we're talking, I'm looking in front of me at the England um, regulations. And I I think that there's different regulations for different parts of the UK, um, which in in itself causes causes confusion. Um, But the the regulations are, first of all, much more detailed, and second of all, different to the to Boris Johnson's um, stay-at-home guidance or the, the government's stay-at-home guidance, which I think they released a week ago today. Um, and, and that's the, the four guidelines which I read out at the beginning. Um, and just w- one example is that the one form of exercise a day is, um, is, is not, does not form part of the regulations. Um, so, so, so should we just look at the regulations in a bit of detail? Yes. Well, the regulations are, are structured in the... In- in a, an interesting way, I think I, it's almost as if the different regulations are different authors, 
there were four substantive regulations in the middle which do the restrictions on, on, on the freedoms. But the one which seems to be the most problematic is, is Regulation 6, which is the one on uh, freedom of movement restrictions. And, and if the listeners click down, they'll see at 6.1, there's a prohibition, a prohibition which provides that it is uh, unlawful for you to leave the house or leave, leave where you live. And then under 6.2, you have a general exception to that prohibition, which is you can do this without with reasonable excuse. And then it lists examples in a non-exhaustive list of, of, of a number of reasonable excuses. And then Regulation 6 and the regulations as a whole then go on to provide for it being an, a criminal offence for you to be in breach of this prohibition. And there's also a fixed penalty notice scheme as well, and and so that's how that's how the, how it's all set out. So, so how do you know it's non-exhaustive? Because the the language is during the emergency period, no person may leave the place where they are living without reasonable excuse. Um, and then that's what six one, and then six two. For the purpose of paragraph one, a reasonable excuse includes the need, and then it enlists. So, what does that tell you about the um, the way that what's meant here? Well, the word include means includes but not limited to. Otherwise, you wouldn't be using the word includes. So if it had said a reasonable excuse shall be one of the following uh, and then listed them, then it would be an exhaustive list. But the draftsman chose not to write that. It is a reasonable excuse includes the need. But what also interesting in, in that is the word need, which seems to me to suggest a test of necessity uh, and so not only do you need to have a reasonable excuse but each of these need to be subject to uh, the requirement of necessity there's already quite a bit for uh, an average person trying to decide whether they can leave the house or not to get their head around um, the Absolutely. first question is 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 do they have a reasonable excuse now d d is that a reasonable excuse do you think in their minds or is that a reason an objective reasonable excuse so a sort of man or person on the clapping om omnibus that, that as the lawyers used to say well in practice it's going to be convincing a relevant officer uh that you have a reasonable excuse because if if they're not convinced then they will proceed either to inflict a fixed penalty notice on you or even leave you open to a criminal prosecution so everyday practice it will be in the police's discretion uh, and it would be very difficult practically to challenge that especially with the courts effectively closed to anything other than the most urgent work but legally uh subject to what what you think adam it would seem to me that it would be for the court to determine whether the excuse was reasonable and uh, or not and that it would be an objective test so, you know, to, to adapt the usual phrase, given the circumstances, it would be the test of, of, of what the man currently not on the Clapham Omnibus would say. <laughs> the man who, who is hoping one day to get back to the Clapham Omnibus, but is currently stuck at home wondering if they can go out and buy an Easter egg or, or, or not. Um, so, so, so I, get, I mean, we do have it. It's not that there's no guidance here because we do have a number of examples and, and the way the examples would work, it being inclusive, it being um, inclusive is that the, is that the kinds of things 
that aren't listed are like will be like the kinds of things that are listed does that does that make sense it would it would strike me that uh, it would ha- have to be comparable to the listed exemptions but if you just take the first two here a and b a and i'm awful you know i'm, I'm putting on my alan hansen face there's some awful drafting here uh for the purposes of paragraph one, a reasonable excuse includes the need dot, dot, dot to obtain necessities. And then you've got the additional word basic, which I can't, I, I find difficult to understand them to pass legally, because what is the difference between a necessity and a basic necessity? And would you actually have to show the court the added requirement that not only was it necessary, that it was basic? And what if a police officer takes the view that it's a necessity but not a basic necessity. I, I, like an Easter egg. A part of me worries that the person who drafted this was listening to Jungle Book earlier on in the day, and 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 the word and put the bare necessities in them and changed it to basic. But what does that actually mean? Uh, and then in turn, basic necessities has a non-exhaustive list, so it's including food and medical supplies, or for vulnerable people and supplies for the essential upkeep. So you've got a test of it being essential as well. It, I would find it difficult as, as, as a lawyer and as somebody who's actually been trained to draft strategy instruments and, and also advise on them to actually understand what does and does not come within the scope of 2A. Well, I mean, for, for, for example, and I just talk from personal experience, we are currently trying to, in my house, as we're a family of four, including two children, plus a dog, we're trying to limit our weekly shop to one big supermarket shop if we can. Um, and when I, w- when we go to the supermarkets, if we can't get an online delivery, um, which, try, try, which we're not really able to, we'll go and we'll get basic, what I think of as basic necessities like milk, bread, I, I don't know, you know, the, the most basic, but also we'll buy things that we eat during the week, which, pro- you know, aren't basic necessities. You wouldn't give someone starving on a, on a desert island um, the kind of food that I might buy in the supermarket along with the bread and the milk. But I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't dream for a moment that my trip um, was outside of these regulations because it would just be completely balmy to say, well, you can go and buy bread and milk, but you can't buy, I don't know, you know, pasta sauce or something which you wouldn't ordinarily say is a basic necessity. I mean, it, it is impossible. It's it's pretty much impossible to imagine any shopping trip um, that didn't fall under these regulations, unless I, I don't I don't know if you went out shopping just to buy a um, a new sofa. Well, if you had a realistic scenario at the moment, you went out to buy the basic necessities, but the the supermarket was 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 as bare as Mother Hubbard's cupboard. Uh, so you pick you pick up a chocolate Easter egg instead. Uh, you 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 have obtained something which is not a basic necessity uh, because there aren't any basic necessities available in the shops. And if you turn to uh, B, exercise. Well, anything involves some kind of exertion uh and is it limited to physical exercise perhaps you you want to go out for some mental exercise and some mental uh activities it what does b include and what doesn't it include and then on top of this if you look then back at number one adam when is the test when does the law actually bite it says 
you cannot leave the place when you are living without reasonable excuse. What happens if you leave with a reasonable excuse? Genuinely, you are going out to obtain basic necessities or you are going out to take exercise. But circumstances change and you no longer are actually outside for that purpose. Or that you've just changed your mind and you've decided not to take exercise. Or you've decided to go somewhere else other than to obtain basic necessities. Given that the law on the face of it only bites at the point you leave the place where you are living, where does that fall in? And so, and given it's criminal law, it's got to be exact, it's got to be predictable, it's got to be construed narrowly. 6.1 does not say during the emergency period, no person may be outside of their house without a reasonable excuse. It says no person may leave the place where they're living without a reasonable excuse. And so just looking at 6.1, 6.2A, 6.2B, this is what happens when you rush drafting when you don't have parliamentary scrutiny, and the fact that this is actually undermining and taking away fundamental freedoms uh, is, 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 is just one worry. The fact is, is that it's not even clear on the face of it what is and isn't included in, in, in these restrictions. Yeah, I mean, and just to, before we go, we'll park looking at six. I think we should look at it in a bit more detail, but just to pick up on those fundamental freedoms, um, I mean, certainly, the, the uh, Article Eight, um, uh, uh, the right to privacy and family life. There's, there's going to be some kind of restrictions here. There's going to be some restrictions and interferences there. I mean, for example, I, we, you can't go out, um, according to these regulations, to see a family member. That's not a reasonable excuse. At least, it's not a reasonable excuse within the listed examples. So, you to to visit a an elderly relative who's not vulnerable. Or a um, or a partner who is not who you don't live with. I mean that that was the one that I think is is quite a it's quite a stunning one. If you if you are as many many people um, are going out with somebody or, or with somebody who is not your who is not someone you live with, there really there's no provision in these rules to see that person. So these may actually stop you seeing that person except by accident. Um, in any, you know, f f until these regulations are um, are removed, there's the, the right to free expression, freedom of association, um, potentially interfered with by not being able to go out and you know go to protests, go to um, go to events where you're able to um, speak with other people, to get information from other people. Um, it's it's really quite significant and um, so as you say there is a, a, a what what in the human rights world we might call a quality of law point um but it goes you know it's a common law right as well the principle of legality that laws must be sufficiently reasonably understandable so that a, a citizen can reasonably predict if their behavior is going to be criminal um it's going to lead to a to a criminal charge or not um, and, and these regulations, I mean, uh, in part, they are understandable. In part, they are pretty difficult to understand for uh, the everyday person who's going to be affected by them. Uh, I think so. Uh, I th if a normal person, non, not by normal person, I mean a non-lawyer non, non person, indeed many lawyers, would find it difficult to regulate their own conduct just by looking at Regulation 6. And then when you add to that that the police themselves are either interpreting it widely or even just sometimes inventing things like a ban against essential travel, uh, a ban against anything other than essential travel, then we have a, 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 
a frankly a dreadful legal situation. And then I keep on coming back to what the purpose of the legislation is. The purpose of the legislation is to protect public health. And public health is not going to be protected by by legislation which is so vague and so uh, erratically applied as to discredit that legislation. You see, unlike some liberals, I'm not opposing this legislation on a civil liberties basis because with some exceptions, every fundamental right and every civil liberty can be subject to an exception in extraordinary circumstances. My concern is not that this is breaching civil liberties per se. My concern is that this is actually undermining the very purpose for that interference, which is to protect public health. Laws which are going to be discredited will not help. And I, I, I agree with you from a civil liberties perspective. I think it's it's very important to remember that the the each, as you say, all of the qualified rights, all of the rights that have balancing exercises attached to them, like the right to privacy, the right to free speech, the right to freedom of association, they all contain a, a get out for public health emergencies where there's a real pressing need. Um, but they, but equally, they do have to be necessary and proportionate. And I guess that's that. It's it's a similar analysis, although not exactly the same. That it, that it has to apply um, the purpose of the legislation. Should we go back to number six? I think it'd be useful for people just to be able to, to go through these. Um, B, to take exercise either alone or with members of their household. That That's the England um, requirement. And that is different to the government guidance, which is one form of exercise a day. For example, a run, walk or cycle alone or with members of your household. Um, and that does raise an issue, doesn't it, of what is the relationship between what the government specifically called the rules that's what boris johnson refers to them as these are the rules what's the relationship between the rules that the government um, exp that the government says and, and they become rules by just government decree or do they um, and the police and the laws which the police can enforce and, and how do you think it's it, what's the appropriate interaction between these those two different concepts well he to, to, to use the B word, it's quite reminiscent of when the government uh, before the referendum uh, said in, in non-statutory guidance uh, that they would honour the uh, result of the referendum and that they would treat it as mandatory, when in fact there was nothing in the law which actually said that the referendum result was mandatory. It's just that a government had actually said this and everybody thought that because the government had said it in an official-looking publication, but it had legal effect. People are that deferent to government pronouncements. And so it's, we have a sort of society that if a minister says something uh, in a certain way, people, especially police officers and, and, and other people who, who follow what the government say, will tend to believe that is what the legal position is, is because the minister has said it in a, in, in a certain manner. But as, as Lord Sumption uh, said, said, I think, yesterday, what the police are purporting are the requirements of these regulations is not matched by what the black letter law says. And the black letter law is important. And the reason why it's important, the reason why we can't just all nod along and wave our hands and get on with the spirit of the legislation is that this creates a criminal offence, which means that people will get convicted, people will have criminal records, people will have their lives blighted, and every CBRD check and every attempt to apply for a visa just on the mere discretion of a police officer who is trying to interpret this black letter law in accordance with government guidance, which 
just simply doesn't match it. Lord Sumption said, um, the police have no power to enforce ministers' preferences, but only legal regulations, which don't go anything like as far as the government guidance. Um, and I mean, I don't often find myself agreeing with with Lord Sumption, but I think he he does have a- agreeing with Lord Sumption on public law is as disconcerting as agreeing with Lord Hoffman on contract law. It means if somebody's got something wrong somewhere. But on this, yeah. I think he's absolutely right. And, and, and he, I mean, he he went as far as saying that when when the police are enforcing ministers' wishes, that that risks pl- plunging us into a police state. Now, I don't think, you know, when people think of a police state, they think of a kind of dictatorial state. But there is, I, I, I do think there's something in, with, without going, without sort of getting to George Orwell um, and, 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 the, and, and breaching Goodwin's law and going into the Nazis, there is something in the fact that, that in a democratic society, in a liberal society, there should be a separation between what the police are doing and what the government are doing, by definition, and 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 the way that is mitig- that is mediated is that Parliament oversees the laws which regulate the police conduct, so that there's a check and balance, a constant check and balance, and a constant sort of conversation. So the police's powers are, only, are limited only by well, the police's power are limited entirely by what the law is, and the law is set by the people we elect. Now here there seems to have been a breakdown in that because the, and you can understand why it's happened because of this, it, it just unprecedented emergency, but the government seemed to be saying these are the rules and we're going to give the police powers. And and that would potentially be fair enough if then the powers reflected the rules, but the powers aren't reflecting the rules, the powers are different from the rules. So then neither the police or the public know what is what the law is. And that really is a problem, isn't it? I, I think it will be a problem. And if people are prosecuted under these regulations and people do end up with convictions, then it would be interesting, to use that legal word, uh, to see how the higher courts interpret this. In fact, it may well be that a, a robust court would say certain regulations or at least certain decisions under certain regulations are outside outside the scope of the public health act and that there's been either ultra-virus regulations or ultra-virus decisions under the regulations and, and that's david anderson's point point isn't it there were in, in in his blog he said that he thinks the regulations themselves might be outside of the powers granted by the public health act which would be which would make the entire which would make all any conviction under these regulations um null and void i well i'll defer to you on what the effect would be to particular uh, convictions but yeah i think david anson who who as as some of the people listening will know is the former terrorism uh watchdog of, of of the government he knows about emergency legislation there's probably nobody in the country in a better position to understand emergency legislation than, than, than david anderson and 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 he has a point and there is a question which perhaps doesn't need to be pressed now is why were these made in the manner they were they came out after the bill went through parliament for coronavirus bill so they could have been put on a primary basis Or they could have been done under the Civil Contingencies Act, which has a more rapid turnaround for how for when MPs have to approve each legislation, uh, each legislative act under the Civil Contingencies Act. But for some reason, the government chose not to put it in primary legislation and to have it debated by MPs. 
although they could have done. There's no reason why they couldn't have done. They've chosen to sidestep the Civil Contingencies Act with its anxious scrutiny of such provisions. And so they, they, they shoved them out under a piece of legislation which, on the face of it, gives them wider powers and gives them longer without any accountability. And not only created criminal offences, which is permitted under the 1984 Act, but to do so in a way which... Uh, removes fundamental freedoms, so fundamental that they're listed in any human rights instrument, uh, in at least three or four areas, and 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 create the ability for um, uh, for, for for police to interpret the le- legislation fairly widely. It's there's going to be questions about why the government approached it in this way, and although we've got a public health emergency at the moment, and so we have to defer with the decisions made about whether it is a public health emergency or not. There are serious issues here about how this was done. The Better Human podcast is supported by your contributions. If you find it useful and interesting, I would really appreciate if you consider giving just $3 a month. That's just over £2 via our Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash betterhuman. And if a couple of hundred people do that, then that will make the podcast sustainable and I can carry on interviewing interesting guests about fascinating human rights subjects. Should we just go back to Regulation 6, just so we've, we've, we've not... Um, so, so people can can hear what's in it. Um, so, so we've got to take exercise either alone or with with other members of their household. Now, in in my conversation, my my very um, uh, small sample of interviews that I've conducted myself with the two police officers yesterday, what they said to me when I said, "Well, you know, this isn't the law," they said, "Well." It would still be an unreasonable. It would un- be unreasonable for you to just be cycling around all day taking exercise, um, because that would go against the spirit of the of the guidance. Um, but as long uh, as that was the reason you left the house, you should. You, there's, there's no offence. Be, be, because it's only when I leave the place that because that's the language that no person may leave the place it doesn't say anything about when you're out and it doesn't say anything when you're coming back all it says is when you leave you just have to have a reasonable excuse when you're leaving and any attempt, and any attempt to sort of adopt a heath robinson approach and say well it's implicit well i'm afraid this is criminal legislation you can't imply criminal offenses into things you've got to spell them out yeah <laughs> so so the c is to seek medical assistance um D is to provide care or, or assistance, including relevant personal care um, within the meaning of a Schedule 4 of the Safeguarding of Vulnerable Groups Act to a vulnerable, vulnerable person or to provide emergency assistance. Um, Remember, e is, see, yep. see the word including there as well. So that is to provide care or assistance dot, 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 to a vulnerable person or to a provide emergency assistance you don't actually have to bring yourself within that power uh, that particular statutory definition that's just an example of giving care or assistance yeah and, and there's a definition in these regulations of vulnerable vulnerable person as well um but provide so so, so providing care and or assistance is again a non-exhaustive um provision um to donate blood okay that's simple um travel for the but 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 also that but that does apply your point above that if you leave the house to donate blood and you find that the blood donation unit is shut 
Yeah, and and it's shut, or you change your mind um, because it's because it's very sunny. Could you then do something else? Um, F to travel for the purposes of work or provide voluntary or charitable services where it's not reasonably possible for the per- for that person to work or to provide those services from the place they're living. Now, now this this slightly worried me because there's been a lot of talk, and in fact, I heard Grant Shapps talking about it this morning about driving for exercise or driving to walk your dog, and and Grant and Grant Shapps on the Radio Four was saying, in answer to a question about police. Um, overstepping their powers he said well you know people shouldn't be traveling um for work and 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 the interviewer said and it was justin roberts said well um that's not the law is it that you can't drive and he said well people shouldn't be you know they shouldn't they shouldn't unless they really have to or, or something like that um but but the thing that worries me about f is this seems to deal with travel um and it doesn't have the inclusive um it doesn't have the word include. It just says to travel for the purposes of work or to provide voluntary or charitable services where it's not reasonably possible to do that um, elsewhere. So that that I wonder whether that's where they might be getting the idea that you can't travel for exercise because there does seem to be leaving aside the the fact the whole all of these examples are only examples of a wider list that, that isn't written down. But that does seem to limit travel potentially, or at least it's attempting to. Mm, I I agree, and the who the test of reasonably possible as well is is concerning. Obviously, that would be for the court to decide, but you'd have to convince a police officer that it was reasonably possible, uh, not reasonably possible for you to work from home, which seems. Uh, there's a great deal of scope for different interpretations there who decides whether it is reasonably possible what if your boss makes a different decision as to a police officer whose view would prevail uh, or what or what if you live with people in, 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 a, in a you live with people in a flat with thin walls and you need to make a work a, pr- a private work call that you can't make with with people overhearing you is it reasonable for you to step out and go for a walk to make that call Yes, that's a very good point. Now we move on to G. G has a wonderful word, which I think would be lovely to see litigated, is what constitutes being a friend. Um, Because because it's attending a funeral of of a member of a person's household, a close family member, or if no one within one or two, so not a a person of a household or close family member, a friend. What what if you're... You know, you've got the sort of person who hasn't got a member of a household or a close family member. And that's because they're a certain type of person and you are their enemy and you want to attend. Uh, you are you are even possibly within the scope of three because you're not under the scope of one and two. But if you on the evidence are not a friend of the person, are you committing an offense? What you about know, a, Facebook, a Facebook friend? Yes, exactly. What this means a person can be on the face of it, committing a criminal offence just based on whether they are a friend or not of a person. And it's ridiculous. There's no way that could be legally tested in a satisfactory way. Obviously, it's it's not going to be prosecuted in practice, but just having vague things like this on the letter of criminal law is just worrying. Um, and, 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 it would, and it also impacts on potentially on religious freedoms we haven't spoken that much about religious freedoms but you know if you're going to a funeral because somebody's a member of your community 
you know, notwithstanding that a lot of religious uh, uh, funerals aren't happening, that it does it does chill you into not going, doesn't it? Because you don't know, well, is that person a friend? I, you know, I sat next to them in church. Does that make me a friend? You know, we, with we, a fiance who lived separately, be caught by one or two. A member of a person's household or a close family member? No, I, I, I don't think they would. So, on the face of it, G would prohibit a fiance uh, going to the funeral of of, of their fiance. Potentially, it would it would at least make, it would at least discourage them from doing that. Um, and and then to fulfil a legal obligation, this is H, including attending court or satisfying bail conditions or to participate in legal proceedings. Um, I have now, a now that what does this mean? If I contract with you, Adam, to leave my house with consideration, and then I leave the house, and the police officer says, why are you leaving the house? I says, well, I've got a contractual obligation to leave the house, which I've made with Adam for consideration. That would be fulfilling a legal obligation. It's a legal obligation under the law of contract. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, mean? I think it seems like what it what it's aimed at is people who are required to attend courts by a I, I think I, I imagine that's what it that's what it's that's what it it's meant to mean is that people who are required say they've got there's a witness summons against them to attend court or a jury summons if jury trials were happening um I, I, but you're right a legal obligation can be you know there's a there's a plethora or even if i've got a contract to advise you as a barrister um, and, and and the contract says that it has to be in person, then presumably that would be a legal obligation. Or a duty of care under the law of tort. Uh, if, if you have to leave the house so to comply with your duty of care, would that be a legal obligation? And would it go as far as equitable obligations? It's, again, what does a legal obligation mean? On the face of it, it would cover obligations uh, created or recognised by common law as well as ones under criminal law or under public law. Um, so Jay, in relation to children who do not live in the same household as their parents or one of their parents to continue existing arrangements for access to and contact between parents and children for the purpose of this paragraph, parent includes a person who is not the parent of the child, etc. So, so that's aimed at that this was an objection raised, I think, after the Prime Minister spoke um, and I imagine was added in unless they they were very um, perspicacious. I, I think it was ad probably added in after the objections were raised that children of two parent families um, who with the parents living in different places would have to go between those places. And that's what this is aimed at. Yes. And, and it was good of the government to react so quickly. I know people who were very concerned by this particular issue. And this was also supplemented by some very sensible advice from the president of the family division quite quickly in, in how the courts would approach these sort of issues. And one thing we, you know, we must say is that some of these senior judges in the courts have really stepped up at this moment to give very useful practical guidance to, 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 uh, to judges in a way which, say, the Ministry of Justice didn't do. And, and this was a unexpected concern and it was dealt with quite quite well uh by by the family courts i mean that that's positive um that i think the the final few are uh, the case of a minister or religion or worship leaders to go to their places of worship um l to move house where reasonably necessary um but m, m is worthy of comment to avoid yeah. injury or illness or to escape a risk of harm 
So let's take two situations. First situation, somebody is in an abusive household. Somebody in, the, in that household is abusive. Uh, they need to leave. Well, M has a very low threshold. It isn't to escape harm. It is to escape a risk of harm. Ditto, take the example of somebody who is mentally ill, mentally unwell. They need to leave the house. They are in their, they're in their bed sit. They are incredibly uh, vexed. They need to do something to, 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 to deal with that. Otherwise, something bad might happen. Again, low threshold in M to escape a risk of harm and to avoid illness. Illness is not limited to physical illness. It could be mental illness. Yeah, and I, so, I think, I th I think that's, de that's, def that's definitely the case, um, that illness would include yeah. any kind of physical or mental illness. And so anybody listening to this, and although obviously uh, hopefully nobody listening to this is in that predicament, but if anybody is mentally ill or unwell or there's a mental health issue or is in an abusive household of some kind and just needs to get out of that house and is worried about the police, that is what Exemption M is there for. There's an issue there about the the mechanism um, of of enforcement because it isn't there a problem that if the police are going to be out um, on the beat um, or ro blocking roads asking people for their reasonable excuse that would somebody who's in a violent relationship be necessarily able to give that um, or want to give that excuse to the police? Because they may not want the police involved, they may they may just think, well, this is something I want to keep, you know, in in my house. You know, I I just I the sort of it, I I don't know what the answer to that is. I'm not I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. It's just worrying that this kind of it's a reversal of the usual situation that people choose whether to go to the police about their personal lives, whereas now the police are are almost obligated to ask us quite per deep and personal uh, questions about what on earth we're doing out of the house. Yes. And and the police are not often, although there's some very good police officers, and we, we all, everybody will recognise the contribution of people like Michael Brown of Mental Health Cop and whatever, there's a lot of positive stuff out there for how police are now dealing with mental health issues in a way which perhaps they didn't previously. But often police are not in a very good position to judge whether a mental illness is, is will allow somebody to take advantage of Exemption M. And they're also not in a very good position, in a very quick way at least, to assess whether somebody is going to, is leaving to avoid injury or risk of harm because they're in an abusive household. And so, again, this shows the police are being asked to do things which, which in a way... It's very difficult for them to do in the circumstances. And so this is why there needs to be a lot of care in enforcing this regulation. And unless you are in breach of social distancing rules, if you are just out on your own, not in any position to actually infect anybody else, there is a question mark on whether the police should be enforcing six in any rigorous way, because there are certain things the police will not know. The mischief which the legislation is aiming at is to avoid contagion. If a person is outside their house in a way which means they are not infecting anybody else or could not be infecting anybody else, there is a question mark on whether it is proportionate to try and prosecute somebody for a breach of Regulation 6. Well, they, they might be infecting the police if the police stop them. Well, there is a worry. There's overzealous police officers going round uh, 
talking to everybody, including barristers on bikes, are going to be sort of super agents of spreading this disease because they are they are not immune. There's no sort of police immunity from spreading this. So if police are going round uh, using their powers against individuals, that actually defeats the underlying purpose of the legislation, which again is public health legislation. Yeah. Sh- sh- should we just look at? Um, I-, I think we've done all of the. Um, regulation six examples that just regulation seven is the restrictions on gatherings now this says during the emergency period no person may participate in a gathering in a public place of more than two people except and 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 this is a different language isn't it because it's not inclusive it's it's exclusive that the it's only except only if a b or c or d applies which is a is where all the persons in the gathering are members of the same household b where the gathering is essential for work purposes c to attend a funeral or or d where reasonably necessary to facilitate house move provide care or assistance to a a vulnerable person provide emergency assistance or participate in legal proceedings or fulfill a legal obligation um so d doesn't have d doesn't have an inclusive and include at the end of it had, had no, they said well, there's no include. including two blah 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 it would have been a non-exhaustive list but yes that is an exhaustive list it's exhaustive and and the um and and i mean the first question f- f- on this for me the thing that worries me is what is a gathering well it's def- on the face of it a gathering is more uh, more than two people well, I mean, and that, that's the kind of circular definition, but it, it it doesn't just say it doesn't say no person may be with more than two people. Um, it, it says a gathering. So the thing that I was wondering is if if lots of people go to the park separately from each other, and it turns out that they're all, you know, and 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 just say they're all two meters away from each other, but they're you know the park's very busy. Is is that a gathering? Um, and it, and and if and if so, those people. Um, that they've not they've it's, they may have left the house for a, a reasonable reason a reasonable excuse and that's you know they've they're, they're not in regulation six problems but regulation seven they may have found themselves in a gathering without intending to be in a gathering oh and, but adam you've got the verb participate which of course is a very clear word oh, it doesn't well, say I, no person may be mean? in a gathering in a public place it says no people yeah. no person may participate so it's a bit like the sort of obstructing with play wall in offside it's what happens if you're inadvertently offside it's it's are you caught by this or not you go to the park but you inadvertently end up uh in a in a with more than two people in your immediate vicinity but it's in a it's by accident are you participating in that gathering I mean, what about if you're all looking at the same lovely view over, you know, on, on the edge of a long, big hill, a, a tall hill or something like that? So you're all doing the same thing next to each other. Um, and maybe you're even chatting to each other. Does that sound that sounds a lot like a gathering, doesn't it? And it sounds like one that you're you're participating in it because you're because you're kind of socialising. Yeah, if it said no person may be in with two other people except which you know let, let's scrub a lot of words out of the top of clause seven but just said no person may be with more than two people except then that would be clear but may accept it may participate in a gathering what could that actually mean how can you regulate your conduct i can understand this being useful as a basis for say for example 
powers of the police to remove you from that gathering. There I can actually see it being fair for the police to have a legal basis for that power to say, no, break up, dispersal order, go. But for this to be a criminal offence, that's more worrying. People to get a criminal conviction just because they've participated in a gathering. Well, I mean, and, and, and I think that the... the in my conversation with the police officers yesterday they were most they were thinking most obviously about groups of teenagers um so so who they find in the park you know five teenagers in the park having a cigarette or something that 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 would obviously be something which they should they should have powers to disperse those those kind of gatherings um because those are those are clearly within the um, mean they're the, within the terms of the Public Health Act. They are people who are potentially helping, assisting in the spread of infectious diseases. But the issue comes when things get a bit murky. Um, and you, I mean, one one other question arising from that is presumably it means that you're allowed to do whatever you want with with two people, as long as you don't do it with three people or more. Yes, it's like the cabaret test, you know, the, uh, the song in cabaret of two ladies. Uh, that would be unlawful in a public place. Uh, <laughs> but if you do two people, that would be perfectly okay. Just, just for listeners to, li- uh, to follow, under Regulation 9, uh, there is a reasonable excuse hurdle for the prosecution, for the gatherings. So, so this is off- offences and penalties is regulation nine. Yeah. And and, and it yeah. says a person who, without reasonable excuse, contravenes a requirement of regulations four and five, which are the about businesses. We haven't looked at those. Um, yeah. s- seven or eight, which is um, which is gatherings um, or contravenes a requirement in regulation six, which is the restrictions of movement, commits an, commits an offence. Has a reasonable excuse built in. Uh, so that's why it's not repeated for B, because on the face of it, regula- regulation six in, se- in itself provides yeah. for a reasonable excuse. Uh, th- th- that, yeah, that makes that makes sense. So unless you've got a reasonable excuse to do any of the things in four, five, seven, eight, um, or six, you commit an offence. Mm-hmm. Yes. That you can also be convicted for obstructing a person who yeah. is carrying out a function um, without reason, unless you've got a reasonable excuse to do so, um, yeah. contravene a direction under Regulation Eight, which is a dispersal, I think, um, yeah. uh, and an offence under this regulation is punishable by a summary conviction by a fine. And, and my, I did look for the the scare, the level of the fine, it's and I was limited. told by somebody that it's unlimited. Yeah, yeah that because there's no yeah. scale, it could be. I mean, I mean, can that really be right? Could it be? Could it really be unlimited? It still yeah, needs it still to be, have to be proportionate. It still needs to be proportionate, uh, and there are guidelines as to whether it would be proportionate. But yes, it could, in theory, be unlimited. Uh, it, it there's no power of imprisonment unless you don't pay the fine. So it's a bit like the TV license regime in that respect. So if you are have a fine against you and you don't pay it, then you might face custody. But there's no power to imprison somebody on conviction. But a criminal record by itself and a criminal conviction on itself is so inconvenient in modern society with CBRD checks, then you'd have to be worried that people are being prosecuted unnecessarily, which brings us on to Regulation 10, which is the alternative regime of fixed penalty notices, which do not confer criminal convictions. But it's 10.1, which I was just about to launch into, is it, it doesn't provide that 
a police officer or a council official uh, has to go to the fixed penalty notice as as the first base. It just says a authorised person may issue a fixed penalty notice. And so if you have a police officer with an on the face of it breach of regulation six or seven or whatever, they will then make a decision whether to issue a fixed penalty notice, which means you pay uh, £30 if you pay it quickly, £60 if you don't pay it quickly, and you don't end up with a criminal conviction. But there's nothing here to actually say when the police officer should do it. So a police officer may decide against doing it. Or, as I've heard, it may well be that the police aren't supplied with the relevant paperwork yet to levy fixed penalty notices and are going straight to uh, pursuing of prosecutions. And so it's worrying that this regime isn't obligatory, as at least for the first couple of, of supposed offences. And, and and it says an authorised person may issue a fixed penalty notice. So, so an authorised person it is a police officer, but it could also be a person who's been assigned by the local authority or by the Department of Health. Six. Not for Regulation 6. Regulation 6 is only for police officers. Okay. Uh, um, but for the business uh, regulations, yes, it could be uh, your, your uh, Jobsworth council official or somebody like that. Yeah, so... Um, and they only they need to reasonably believe that they've committed an offence under the regulations. So that is, um, again, it's quite a, it's potentially subjective. Um, they just yeah. have to have reason a reasonable belief that the person has gone out without a reasonable excuse or is gathering with more than two people without a reasonable excuse. So it's a lot of analysis, a person, a, a lot of individual analysis by police officers that they have to do to get there. Yes. And so it, that is entirely at the discretion of the police. And so you get a no, and there's no way on the face of it of actually challenging a notice. And so if you have a if you have a fixed penalty notice and you you feel aggrieved or frankly, you just simply can't pay it because you, you've lost your job or you are self-employed or something. And you can't get 30 pounds within 14 days or you do that at the risk of starving. How do you there's challenge no this? There's no appeal. I mean, maybe on the forms there'll be an appeal, but there's no um, there's no provision for an appeal. So arguably, there is no power to put in place an appeal. Yeah, and you could go to court to judicially review it, but that's not plausible in most circumstances. Not for thirty so if quid. You've got, if you've got this penalty, and you think it's been wrongly levied, there's no sidestepping it really. And if you don't pay it, then you can end up uh, before the magistrates. And it starts at 60, but a second one can be 120 and the third one can be 960. So we're getting into we're getting into a, 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 a position where it's really unaffordable for quite a large proportion of people. Yeah, but people's businesses are closed down. People are losing their jobs. Why do they think a system of fines is actually going to work? You know, the fines will work against people of a certain income where they've got disposable income. But if you are actually making people to decide whether they can afford to eat that week or not, uh, and you levy one of these fines, you are removing a family's food budget. And 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 just to, just to take the extra, I mean, you, you've got to be a bit careful, as um, Grant Shapps was saying, of, of of taking the extreme examples and applying them as if they're applying across the board. Um, but and, and, and certainly the, the officers I spoke to sounded at least that they were 
going to behave sensibly. But you have had the examples of the um, the officers in Barnet uh, uh, giving a fi- I think giving a p- fixed penalty notice or prosecuting an individual who was um, outside of a bakery. Uh, chalking lines on the floor to show customers how to queue two meters apart which sounds utterly ridiculous um and 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 then you have the easter egg example which maybe is the 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 peak peak craziness of 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 this early phase of, of enforcing these regulations or at least i hope it will be but you can see why business owners would say frankly no i'm not going to pay a fine for, ser- for for selling easter eggs or for chalking lines on the floor which which is plainly going to help um, prevent people infecting each other um, it, but but the re- it's difficult to see how what recourse they could have and 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 what option they can have but to pay the fine according to these regulations yeah well saying most police officers will be sensible so we don't we don't need the law to be exact well, you could say that about civilians. Most civilians will be sensible, so you don't need the laws to exact. But the laws are there not for the people who will be sensible, but for the people who uh, will not be sensible. And there's a huge amount here for idiotic police officers to be idiotic about. And the costs would be quite quite substantial for the people they levy the fines on or criminal convictions. And I, I nobody would say that the sh- these regulations should not exist in some form. Uh, this is an emergency, and this is what emergency law is for. But these regulations have been shoved together very quickly. They're extraordinarily illiberal, certainly the most illiberal laws passed in this country since the Second World War, probably possibly before. Uh, and not only are they inc- incredibly Ill- illiberal, they are vague and uncertain and could be highly consequential for people. And so this is why it is quite right to subject these regulations to anxious scrutiny. Yeah. Do you, do you think these regulations could be made in a way which isn't going to lead to uncertainty, given the circumstances? Because my, my slight worry, I, I agree with you that the these regulations are needed because there needs to be some way of, of enforcing around the edges of the people, of the, hopefully the minority, the small minority of people who won't comply with these regulations, and also to there is a, a, a certain positive chilling effect here which is that people need to take these these rules seriously because it's mm-hmm. a serious situation but my, my slight worry is that two lawyers going through these kind of regulations which are so broad and apply to all every every one of the 65 million people living in this country that we'd always be able to find unclear elements and and realistically you're only going to be able to leave it to the discretion of individuals and the police to behave sensibly around the criminal regulations um, rather than allowing for every single possible scenario or being as you know as precise as you possibly can be do you, do you understand that the point I, I'm I understand to make? the point you're, you're seeking to make but i don't think it's a valid one because these laws need to be clear and they need to to to, to be exact no but Nobody is suggesting that they should not be implemented until they are utterly precise. But they are not even near that. They are still vague, even if it was not two lawyers discussing them. Uh, Police officers with goodwill are taking different views on the same provisions. There are confusion between what the government is saying and what the regulations are saying. This is not just two lawyers in Temple playing a parlour game. On almost every point here, there are valid concerns. And 
if we keep going back to the underlying purpose of the public health legislation, that is not good. If these laws are not credible, then the statutory purpose is defeated. I mean, I, I, I've just actually seen that the um, National College of Policing has produced some two little um, cards on Twitter of guidance. And, and this is, um, I'm, I'm reading directly from it. So this is the National College, National um, Police Chiefs Council and the College of Policing. And the title is Coronavirus, COVID-19, New Police Regulations, What It Means for the Public. And the first bullet point is people may only leave the place where they're living for the reasons listed in the government guidance. I mean, that, that in itself seems to be just completely muddying the waters because are they, say, are they saying the government guidance is the law? You know, for example, not being able to leave your house for more than one kind of exercise a day. And if so, they're wrong. I mean, isn't, isn't, shouldn't the police be saying you, can, you, you should follow the government guidance, but we have, you should follow the regulations in terms of what, what we're going to be doing? Just to sort of step back and, and take an overview, this is why it is important that these things are debated at the moment and why legal bloggers and Twitter, Twitter accounts should be discussing this. Because at the moment, it is important that these things are scrutinised. They did not have parliamentary account, uh, scrutiny. MPs did not vote on this. These could have incredible consequences either for the individuals as in particular or for public health in general and so it is useful i think for those with an interest to contribute to the discussion and i never expected legal blogging to have ever be that relevant again but I, it's good that people like david anderson and others are going out and actually saying what do these laws mean what they don't mean and those people who in turn say you are doing something irresponsible by commenting on the law, criticising the law. I'm afraid I'm not with them. In fact, I'm against them. Uh, when at a time of national emergency, that such laws should be placed under more scrutiny than at other time, not less. You can't just nod along and say, well, let's, let, let, let's not criticise the law because there's a public health emergency. And yes, there is a public health emergency. Yes, there are public health emergency regulations and they need to be credible and enforced. But, uh, you know, as, as, as was Lord Atkin pointed out in Liberty and Anderson, it, you know, when all that clamour is going on, that is when the courts and lawyers should be more vigilant, not less. And, and, and I think I'm going to I'm going to paraphrase you, David, by saying just because something needs to be done and this is something doesn't mean that this is the something that needs to be done. Uh, yes, I, I that is the great worry with 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 law and and difficult situations law is not magic you can't just point an act of parliament with a, with as if it's a wand and say that something somehow disappears because you've tried to prohibit it hopefully the government will go back and refine these regulations it's not enough to keep on asking the police to come out with more and more guidance because that as you say is muddying the water the, the legislature needs to put this law on a form a more certain basis because at the moment these regulations are serving a normative purpose in telling us what we should and shouldn't do but in respect of positive law they they are very questionable and it possibly would undermine the statutory purpose they are there in the first place should we just finish with lord lord atkin 1942 
in Liversidge and Anderson, um, in this country, amid the clash of arms, the laws are not silent. They may be changed, but they speak the same language in war as in peace. And if you adapt adapt and paraphrase that for viruses as opposed to war, then yes. Yeah. Um, thanks so much, David. Um, keep blogging. Keep, keep going. Keep going back to that blog. So I think that there's, uh, there's there is, as you say, a, a really important role to play here as, as we're all trying to work together with the police and the government to um, and parliament to try and figure out what the what the right answer is. And none of us yet know. You, you too, Adam, you keep podcasting and you and your human rights initiative keep on going. It's doing some excellent work and I, I, I commend it. Incredibly. Thanks so much, and David. Everybody listening should follow Adam Ragnar's human rights work. It's uh, inc- incredibly helpful and useful at a time like this. Thanks very much, David, and um, speak soon. Same. Bye. Thanks so much to David Allen Green. You should follow him on Twitter at law underscore and underscore policy and David Allen Green, and also follow his law and policy blog. The Better Human podcast is supported by Goldsmiths Law in their pioneering new LLB undergraduate course taught in London. For 2020, they're launching a criminal justice and human rights pathway. If you want to support the podcast, if you find it useful and interesting and you want it to continue, please consider just giving a few pounds a month at patreon.com forward slash better human. And you will be able to find at that address links to the various different regulations and guidance documents which we discussed in this podcast thank you as ever to the podcast editor samantha bruff and the podcast research producer natasha holcroft eames see you next time i've been adam wagner this is the better human podcast goodbye